Good morning. Friends, if you'll take your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Beginning a new book today, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll begin this morning by reading verses 1 through 2. If you're able, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Hear now the written word of the living God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you the only way we can. And that is through the way, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you declared that you are the one and only way to the Father. And we come through you to the Father. And we pray your blessings today upon the reading and the preaching of thy holy word. Open our ears and our hearts to receive it, O God. Remove every distraction that we might focus upon worshiping you, learning of you. Grow us and mold us, Father, into the image of Christ, we pray. Lord, if there is one here who doesn't know Jesus, one under the sound of my voice, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would work in his or her heart to draw them savingly to faith in Christ. Yet for believers, as we continue to read and study your word, Father, would you continue to grow us and mold us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. Please be seated. Friends, as you know, we just finished preaching through 1 Thessalonians. So today we start the next book, 2 Thessalonians, the second letter that the Apostle Paul writes back to the church at Thessalonica. And as we begin this book, just as a word of introduction, I want you to know as we compare the two books, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we're going to find that both books are, are very similar. They're similar in their vocabulary, their style. Even some of the topics that are talked about in 1 Thessalonians are repeated in 2 Thessalonians. And one of the reasons why is that we believe that the Apostle Paul, after sending that first letter, heard back uh, maybe some of the response from getting that first letter from the church and heard that uh, there were still some problems in Thessalonica dealing with things he had already covered in the first book. So he actually took the opportunity to talk about those issues again. Some of those items he repeated talking about was the second coming of Christ and their understanding of it. He talks again about idleness and work ethic. And um, towards the end of 2 Thessalonians, he's going to say, if you don't work, you don't eat, things like that. So he continues to write addressing some of these same issues, but also, friends, he's encouraged because he gets a very good, encouraging report that their faith in Jesus Christ is growing. They're flourishing in their knowledge of him, yet they need to continue to be sanctified, just like every single one of us. They need to continue to grow in grace and knowledge. So we're going to talk about many of those subjects moving forward because we're going to cover every verse of this book. But today, let's zoom in and focus specifically on verses 
1 and 2, this introduction, this greeting that Paul gives us in 2 Thessalonians. And friends, today we're going to look at three main points from these two verses. The three main points are listed on the back of your bulletin. There's a short outline there that might help guide you in this. But the first point is simply we're going to look at the three missionaries, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and see the plurality that God gave them in ministry. But secondly, we're going to look at that phrase about union with our God, that in verse 1, Paul says that the church is in God. So we're going to talk about our union in our God. And then third and finally, we're going to talk about the grace of God. Because Paul mentions at the end of this greeting that grace to you, grace be to you, dear church at Thessalonica. But let's look at that first point, friends. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the plurality in this leadership at Thessalonica. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, Paul says in verse 1. Now, as we look at these three men, let's remember something. When Paul started 1 Thessalonians, he mentioned these three names, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And when we looked at these three men last time, we kind of did a study of who they are and what impact these men had on the church. Now, since we've already done that and handled that aspect of those three men last time, let's look at another aspect of these three names this time. And the first thing I want you to notice is that there's not just one, but three names. There's three names. And what that does is it emphasizes a plurality of leadership in ministry. Our dear brother, Dr. Mike Milton, who's been such a, a resource for me over these past three and a half years, he um, meets with me from time to time, whether it's on the phone or now over the computer. We used to meet in person, but he mentors me, encourages me all the time. And it was a few months ago, Dr. Milton was just talking to me about ministry. And he said, Adam, whenever possible, don't do ministry by yourself. Whenever possible, don't do ministry by yourself. And what Dr. Milton was saying to me, friends, is that when you're in ministry, don't try to handle every single thing by yourself. Rather, you should have a proper division of labor amongst you. You should have a plurality in ministry. And I got to thinking about that. And, you know, that truth goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I'm going to bring up a story. Let's see if you remember this. This is Exodus 18. The Bible says in Exodus 18 that Moses sat alone from morning till evening and he sat judging all the issues the Israelites would bring to him. And his father-in-law walked over and began to notice what was going on. And he saw Moses just getting worn out and tired. So he went to Moses a little later and he said, Moses, look, what you're doing is not good. And if you continue this pattern of trying to do everything by yourself, you're going to wear yourself out. Moses, instead of doing what you're doing, 
have a division of labor. Yes, Moses, if there's big things, big items to judge, you can still do that. But you need to go find some God-honoring people that are going to work with you in ministry, and you need to have a proper division of labor. Find those who are trustworthy and let them help you in these small matters. And if you study that chapter, friends, here's what it says at the end. Jethro, his father-in-law, says, Moses, if you do this, here's what's going to happen. Number one, the people will learn to bear the burden with you. God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And these people, they will live in peace. And that day, Moses took the advice of his father-in-law. And friends, he set up a proper division of labor. Think about what the Proverbs say about many counselors. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, the people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. What's this pointing us towards? A plurality in ministry. Think about how Jesus sent out the disciples. He didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out two by two. There was at least a small plurality. When Paul went on his first missionary journey, he didn't go by himself. He went with Barnabas, a plurality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, the apostle Paul says, Look, I planted, but Apollos came behind me. He watered. God gives the increase. There is a plurality. In Acts chapter 15, where you have that what's called the Jerusalem Council, this large meeting because there's an issue going on in the church. It wasn't just one person at that meeting. It was the apostles and the elders together who met collectively at the Jerusalem Council. What you see is a plurality in ministry. Friends, what's the conclusion? It's exactly what Dr. Milton said. Don't do ministry by yourself. Have a plurality in ministry. You have Paul, Silas, and Timothy mentioned here in this text. How does this apply in Thessalonica? Let's talk about that. Do you remember how in 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the Thessalonians, I feel like I was ripped away from you during this persecution that happened in Acts 17, and we had to go away from you, and I tried to come back to you, but Satan hindered me. I couldn't get back to you. But, Paul says, there was an associate of mine, Timothy, He wasn't being hindered. So we sent Timothy back to you. And Timothy was able to go and minister to you. And then Timothy brought back an encouraging report. That would have been impossible had there just been one leader in ministry. But because there was a plurality, dear friends, he could send Timothy and Timothy could come back. Well, friends, how does any of this apply to us today here in 2020 how does any of this apply to church of the redeemer friends the bible can teaches continues to teach us that even today it's good to have a plurality in ministry and here at redeemer god has given us two pastors and i want you to know how thankful i am for that i am so thankful for a man like Daryl Timberlake. 
I am so thankful to have someone by my side who has the character and the hard work ethic, the compassion and the empathy of a Daryl Timberlake. I want you to know when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he told the Philippians, I'm getting ready to send Timothy to you. And then he said of Timothy, I have no one else like him who's genuinely concerned for your welfare. And I said this of Daryl a couple years ago. I'll say it again today. I have no one else like Daryl Timberlake who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. I love this man. It is, it is such a blessing for me as a pastor to be able to serve alongside an associate like Daryl Timberlake. And I thank God for the plurality that he's given us here even within um, the pastors here at Redeemer, but I don't want to stop there. Because also at Redeemer, we have eight ruling elders who are currently serving on the session. We have several others who are on sabbatical who have served for a long time, and I'm sure will serve one day again. And I praise God, dear friends, for this plurality in leadership of our elders. The Bible says that elders are there for the spiritual oversight of the congregation. And like the book of Proverbs says, we have many counselors for governing decisions. And these friends, these elders have been meeting, um, I mean, we, we meet every month. We've been meeting a lot more these past few months. A lot more has been on these elders. And I praise God for their dedication to help govern. And like the advice Jethro gave to Moses in Exodus 18, what we try to do with their elders is have a proper division of labor. We divide up the shepherding responsibilities here at Redeemer. We divide up the responsibilities of leading other ministries as elders. and we tr We're trying our very best to have that plurality in leadership, just like Jethro told Moses he needed to have. But again, it doesn't stop there. Because God has also given us deacons. God has raised up men here who help us with mercy and money and materials. They're ministers of sympathy and service. So we, what we're trying to do is have that proper division of labor. In other words, know your role and do your role. The elders focus on shepherding and governing. Our deacons focus on sympathy and service. But not only that. God has brought an amazing staff here to Church of the Redeemer. Men and women on this staff who have different roles, different responsibilities. And I want to just tell you how wonderful it is to work with this staff. These are God-honoring people who love God, who love their neighbor, have a passion about God's Word, and working in ministry. And friends, what a joy it is for this pastor to serve within this plurality of leadership and I think back to to you know what it was for like for for Paul um, the simple fact that he he wasn't alone uh, that he had uh, these co-laborers in the gospel with him what what a joy that was and I want you to know even for me it doesn't even stop with elders and deacons and staff but so many here in our congregation who have stepped up to leadership within this church whether it's a, a a committee or one of our teams here at the church. What a blessing it is even to have plurality 
as we lead. And I pray that we would continue to honor God with this abundance of counselors, with this plurality in leadership. But friends, the second point that Paul makes this morning comes from verse 1 as he talks about union in our God. Listen closely to verse 1. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that word in, I-N? Key word. That the church is in God, the Father, and the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I want, you, I want to teach you something that really describes how much God loves you, how much He has done for all of us, because He has united us spiritually to the life work of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're following hard after Christ, if you know the Lord, the Bible says He has united you spiritually to the life work of Christ. How? How has He done that? Friends, I'm going to give you several ways how God has done that. I'm going to give you several verses. If you want to jot these verses down, be ready to write. Here we go. How has God united you to the life work of Christ? First of all, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. God said He united you to the life work of Christ before the foundation of the world. The text says, God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. If you have ever wondered how much God loves you, the Bible declares to you today in Ephesians 1.4 that you were on the mind of God before He created. Before He created, you were on His mind. And He chose you to be in Christ, united to Christ. Secondly, He's united you to Christ through Jesus' death. The verse that Daryl read a moment ago, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that opened up our service. Let me remind you what it says. I have been crucified, how? With Christ. Do you see your union? Do you see your connection to what Christ has done? You have been crucified with Christ. You might ask yourself, how, Pastor Adam, was I crucified with Christ? The hymn teaches us, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was my sin, it was your sin, dear friend, that held Jesus on the cross. That's how we're crucified with Christ. But thirdly, I want you to know we have been raised with Christ. Colossians 3 verse 1 says that we spiritually have been raised with Christ. Think through this with me. In Jesus' resurrection, certain things were defeated forever. What were they? Sin, death, hell were all defeated. They were all crushed when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this text says that you and I have been united not only to the death of Jesus, but to the resurrection of Jesus. 
And because Jesus has been raised and sin, death, and hell have been defeated, and because you and I are now united to the life work of Christ in our lives, dear friends, can you see that sin, death, and hell are defeated? And it's not because of what you've done or what I've done. It's because of our union with Christ. Cherish the truths of these scriptures. Cherish your union with Christ. Friends, I'm not finished. The Bible says not only are we united before the foundation of the world in His death, in His resurrection, it says we're united to Christ in His session. You know what session means? To sit down. You remember that Christ was seated at the right hand of God. That's His session. Here's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 says. We were raised up with Him, and then He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That even now, in a spiritual sense, you and I are seated with Christ. Seated with God. And who ushers us there? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus ushers us into the presence of His Father and seats us with His Father. A couple more areas that we're united with Him. The Bible says we're united in our adoption and our sanctification. One of the greatest lessons the Bible teaches us that we is that we become children of God. As Galatians, or excuse me, as Romans chapter 8 says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see your union with Christ. We're sanctified in Christ. As Mark spoke of just a moment ago, Yes, we're saved by grace, but God calls us to works. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, We are His workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works. John Murray, in his book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, says it this way. He says, Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. And friends, in this one verse, first or second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 teaches us that we are united to the life work of our God. Salvation is in God. So you can, you know, as, as you think about your own salvation, as you think about your own assurance of salvation, if you th- when you think about how much God loves you, you can see from the Bible that He doesn't just say you're saved. He says, no, you're saved because I've taken you and united you to the life work of of the Son of God by grace through faith to His death, His resurrection, even His session. Praise God for His love for us. Well, friends, that leads us to our last point, and that is the grace of God. Verse 2 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. There's two words mentioned here, obviously, grace and peace. I know that Blair spent the last portion of his sermon last Sunday talking about the peace of God. So today I want to focus on the first word there, the grace of God. Friends, what is grace? What is grace? You know, we know it to be God's unmerited favor, yes? It is receiving something. That we don't deserve. 
There's a great little book called, it's, um, called Whatever Happened to the Gospel of Grace. It's written by the late James Montgomery Boyce. And Pastor Boyce in his book said it this way. He said, amazing grace really is amazing. In fact, it's the most amazing thing in the universe. But he noted, as the late J.I. Packer said, that for many people, amazing grace has turned into boring grace. And he asked, how in the world could that be? How could amazing grace in the church turn into a boring grace? And Pastor Boyce goes on to explain his reasons. He said, friends, many of us, even within the church, we've forgotten something. We have forgotten the sinfulness of sin. In our society, we're starting to treat sin as something that's inconsequential. But we need to be reminded, the Bible teaches us that sin is a transgression against the holy and perfect law of a holy and perfect God. And our sin doesn't just harm us, it actually separates us from God completely. It kills us spiritually and because of that, the Bible teaches us that God's wrath, His fury, is directed towards us and that judgment awaits us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It says that we are children of wrath. But the problem is, he says, is that people don't ever think in terms of judgment anymore. We live in a society where there's no consequences to our actions. People can't even imagine a God of judgment. And unfortunately, they think that because it's not found in the pulpits of America. People aren't preaching the Word of God. But friend, I'm here to tell you today that just as much as God is a God of love, and He is, He's also a God of judgment. Hebrews said that God, says that God is a consuming fire. And that man on his own cannot escape the righteous judgment of God. Friends, man can't save himself. And I want you to know that that is why we need grace. That's why we need God's unmerited favor. We need to receive something we don't deserve. And the pages of this book right here, are the greatest story of God's amazing grace. Friends, can ponder some of these verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrated His own love towards us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, He did what? He came and He died for us we didn't deserve that we didn't earn that we didn't merit that but he came and died for us john says it this way in his first epistle in this is love not that we first loved god but that god loved us and he sent his son as a propitiation for all of our sins as daryl reminded us of who the first giver is Hear the grace of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only begotten Son. This 
undeserved, unmerited blessing, favor that God does for us in the person and work of Christ. He gave His Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you see the grace of God that He has given us in His Son? And friends, because you and I have received this grace, you and I are called to go into this world and take this message of grace to a world who needs it. Mark gave us a great opportunity to do that even today through Metanoia. Hunter, I know, is leading many of these charges through our evangelism team. We have missions opportunities. Friends, be in the business of taking this grace that has been given to you through Jesus Christ and take it into a world that needs to hear the gospel today. Friends, as we conclude this morning, I hope there's several things you can take away from this sermon. From this text, rather. Let the text preach. First of all, I pray that every one of us can praise the Lord for the plurality God has given us in the leadership here at Redeemer. And I want to encourage you, pray, please pray for your leaders. Pray for your pastors, your elders, your deacons, your staff. Pray for all the ministry leaders from our congregation that are on our teams. We need your prayers. It's been quite a spring and quite a summer, and it's getting ready to be quite a fall and winter. Let us stand uh, by praying to a God who wants to give us wisdom, wants to give us strength. Let us depend upon Him in every single thing we do. This plurality of leadership. Secondly, I pray that you can ponder the union that you have in Jesus. That you can remember that you were on God's mind even before God created. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were with Christ in His death, His resurrection, His session. You were with Him when He adopted you as He's sanctifying you, dear friend. And I want you to know that there's a future aspect to the union with Christ. We're not finished yet. Because one day, John, in his 14th chapter, Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, I'm going to come back. And where I am, I'm going to take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be also. Do you see your union with Christ? 1 Thessalonians says that Christ will call, catch you up into the air to be with Him forever, to be united with Him. And then finally, friends, consider God's grace towards you. God's unmerited favor. The fact that we have received something that we did not deserve. Praise God for it. And then take it and share it with other people that they too might know the Lord. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and putting so much in uh, two verses, just a general opening, Father, but uh, so much to teach us about who you are and the way you do things. And uh, um, Lord, we just want to be a church that depends upon you, uh, especially our leaders. We think about uh, our elders, our deacons, our staff, our ministry leaders. We thank you for the plurality you've given us there uh, with that, God. And um, um, we pray for wisdom uh, now and for the months ahead, Lord, for our leadership. 
God, we celebrate our union in Christ. Uh, We are so thankful for a God who um, unites us to your life work, Father, um, that we were in a real sense with you on the cross, with you in your resurrection, even with you in your session, Father. And we know that we are going to be with you when you return, for you're taking us to be with you forever. And Lord, let us always ponder your grace, your unmerited favor towards us. And let us never, ever get to the point in our lives where it becomes boring grace. But let us continually sing of thy amazing grace all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.